It's Saturday night. Very cool. Hmm? Oh, I thought you said I look like a fool. I thought <laughs> probably both are true. <laughs> But I believe in uh, protecting the sacredness of the profanity of Saturday night. <laughs> <clears throat> and I still quaintly believe in the relevance of relevance. <laughs> and I know, uh, probably better than anyone here, that uh, Sat Yoga is totally irrelevant to the current culture. <laughs> I mean, we are absolutely uh, not even on the radar screen. <laughs> We're not even dangerous, you know, to the CIA or anything. We, we are, are so unpopular and uh, so completely anachronistic as far as they're concerned. You know, we don't even qualify as a decent cult group, you know. <laughs> let alone as some school of higher learning. So I agree that we're anachronistic from their perspective, but I would like to uh, contemplate the concept of parachronistic, <laughs> which is to say that we're not intending to be relevant to the current culture because the current culture is moribund. It's about to die. We are here to prepare a new culture. And so our relevance comes from our irrelevance. Uh, we are not even planning to mourn the death, but to celebrate the rebirth, the renaissance. But in order to do that, we have to meet people where they are, you see. And where people are today is with an ego structure that is totally dominated by the lower death drive. And if we don't meet people at that level, we can't help them to ascend. <clears throat> the, the current, let's say, theoretical milieu of the academic world, which attempts to come up with some theorization of culture, uh, I feel has completely failed since the 1980s. They have not kept up with the morphological shifts within the structure of the Western and now the globalized ego. And it has morphed considerably since that period. And I think this failure of theorization is one that keeps us blind to the deeper significances of the changes that are occurring that are in fact preparing for the Renaissance that we are seeing that uh, is not very clearly apparent to anyone who is still identified with the dying culture and whose only attitude can be either denial or despair. And because of that nihilistic mode that is dominant in the culture today, or that of the complete uh, dissipative uh, focus upon the irrelevant uh, and yet culturally approved consumerism and ostentation and uh, artificial attempts at 
expanding consciousness, but within a, a frame of reference that, uh, that, that leaves it within a bubble of jouissance and of meaninglessness, ultimately. Uh, an expansion that results in an equal and opposite contraction and that leaves a stagnation and an incapacity to see beyond the, the death of this cycle of time and to be able to have that spark that can cross over into the next cycle. It's that that we want to be able to, to cultivate and help people to develop in order to be able to establish a, a bridge of reincarnational continuity with the next age that is about to manifest after the thermonuclear apocalypse that is on its way to us very soon. So this is uh, in part what I want to, uh, to get at and why we don't really study Jung here very much because you see Jung is almost an obsolete and as, as obsolete and irrelevant as we are. Uh, his and even more so because his theory, Jung was not interested in child development. What Jung was interested in was the midlife crisis, uh, mostly because he himself went through one of an extraordinary nature. He had, he had actually a psychotic breakdown in midlife. And it, it was his recovery of that that brought him into the archetypal level where he wrote his, uh, his most important uh, dialogues uh, of the dead and, and dealing with the images that were then drawn into what was called the Red Book. Uh, it, it was this that was the basis of all later theory that ultimately culminated in his final period that I think is most relevant, which is that of his study of alchemy. But because Jung did not have an interest in child development, his theory always had to be supplemented. Uh, in the uh, old days, uh, back in the, let's say, 40s and 50s and 60s, it was sublimated mostly with Kleinian theory. But since then, uh, there have become Lacano-Jungians. But it's the Lacanian theory that gains the, uh, the traction, not the, the Jungian. And Jung has been followed by very mediocre uh, minds. What, what's interesting is not only are very few psychologists or psychoanalysts interested in Jungian theory, but the ones who are, are very mediocre. And, and so the successor of Jung turned out to be a guy named James Hillman, whose interest uh, has been completely on the imaginary plane. And he equates soul and image. He's not interested in the deeper structures or in the higher uh, vibrational frequencies that are possible that do not yield to imagery, let alone even to symbolization. And so we have a theory that is kind of uh, floating within a level of consciousness that itself is not relevant to where people are at today. And that's why uh, it's, it becomes relevant as, as uh, those who have more of a modern than a postmodern ego structure go through perhaps a midlife crisis. But that is very rare. Most of the postmodern uh, structure egos are in a permanent crisis. But, but it's not uh, of the same type as the old-fashioned midlife crisis that nobody has anymore, in which you have to buy a red Ferrari or something <laughs> like that. Not 
no, it's not like that at all, you see. And it happens by the time you're 20, you know. It, 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 doesn't, uh, it doesn't happen after adulthood. It happens instead of adulthood. <laughs> and this is what we have to really understand. It's the irrelevance of the concept of adulthood for the postmodern ego. It never reaches or even has an interest in adulthood or even believes that it exists. Adulthood is an old wives' tale, you see. It's a story. Because there are no adults anymore. Who are the adult role models that you're going to follow? Tiger Woods, you know? Or, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know which, you know, Britney Spears. I, I don't even know the names of these people anymore. I can't tell you. But are, are there really any adults? You know, Hollywood certainly doesn't produce them. And I don't think the uh, rock music produces too many of them. Uh, you know, where are they? So, and who would care even if they appear, you know? They, they, they would be completely unable to relate to people. And uh, they would be uh, put into the closet, you know? which is what most university uh, philosophy departments uh, are, basically. And, and sociology and psychology and anthropology, all of them have become uh, irrelevant because no one reads books anymore. It's, uh, the word has fallen and the image has replaced it. In that sense, we could say Hillman is relevant, but relevant only in the sense that he's as flimsy as adult consciousness has become today. So uh, what is important is that there was a moment uh, in time in the late 70s in which there was, I would say, the final flourishing of theory in the West. And it all happened in Paris, naturally, Paris and France, when France still produced intellectuals. It doesn't anymore. There are, there are no more philosophers coming out of France. Don't tell me about Bernard Levy, because I will cry. But uh, <laughs> the, the, the last of them, Derrida, and maybe Marion, but Marion is too Catholic, really, to be relevant as a philosopher for, for the current day. And he's, he's totally obsessed with Descartes, which is not all that current in our thinking. But, um, but the last of them were, were uh, Gilles Deleuze and Jacques Lacan and, uh, and Derrida. And it was right at the same time that all of these people developed theories that were dealing with the same uh, burgeoning morphology of ego from different philosophical perspectives that were enough similar, even in their difference, that they gave a kind of stereoscopic theory. And most academic books that are written today are still living off of the last mileage of those theories. Uh, but they are not entirely relevant anymore because of the continuing morphing of the ego structure. There's one other guy who deserves mention here. His name is Didier Anzieux, another French uh, psychoanalyst who developed a theory of the ego. His most famous and relevant book in this context is called The Skin Ego. And I think the, the relevance of this is that the skin becomes the center of consciousness at a certain moment when the child is about to go through weaning. But it has not yet made a full differentiation between itself and the mother. There is still the I and the mother are one. 
but the skin surface becomes the place of the conflict and the place where that conflict in, in terms of the old uh, Freudian Oedipus complex still has its last remaining uh, threads of relevance, which is that it's the father or whatever is the uh, modern equivalent of the paternal function that helps to separate the child from the mother. And this is the place where skin ailments happen, acne and other things. They are the, the, the skin ego's uh, complaint against its forcible separation from the mother. And thus you, you have the skin as the site of the ego's self-expression, not only in terms of, uh, of scarification, self-cutting, uh, scars from surgeries that were necessary because of psychosomatic illnesses, etc., but the whole phenomenon of tattooing and other things that have become uh, almost essential to the stabilization of the ego that is still identified unconsciously with the skin that has the nostalgic reference to the presence of the mother and the breast and the warmth and, and that sense of security that comes from that lost unity. And so it's the skin ego that is now what the cultural forms of expression must appeal to. Not to the adult who is trying to morph from ego to soul. It's not about that. It's moving out of the orbit of the maternal consciousness and the depression that comes from the sense of abandonment, which, be, which becomes internalized as self-abandonment if one attempts to do something like grow up. And, you know, and leave behind uh, the, the, the dependence upon the other and upon the past and upon the family dysfunctional system that has been completely internalized. It's that kind of uh, a, a melancholia, to use another old Freudian term, that leads to uh, a depressive affect whenever psychic change uh, is being forced by situations in which a, 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 an object of security, I won't even say of desire, has been lost. And one must live in a moment of separation from any kind of a prop that one can literally keep uh, contiguous to one's skin surface. And so it is this that gets then, uh, let's say, sublimated by the use of the visual uh, capacity as a kind of second skin. And this is why the computer screen has become the equivalent of the skin for the postmodern generation. And its eyes must literally be glued to the screen to get all of its information from the screen mother. <laughs> and, uh, and it's this then that, of, of course, uh, is behind the, the, the uh, allure of pornographic websites and all of the other kind of uh, visual eye candy that enables the, uh, the skin ego to remain with a sense of, uh, of stability because the other is still feeding one, nourishing one with these images of, uh, of, of the sexual availability of the mother to give it that psychoerotic uh, context. And it's this that then 
acts as a kind of um, uh, alter ego to the paternal energies which occur, especially in the context of a dysfunctional family system in which the father's role has been at least uh, quasi-incestual. And, and that incestual invasiveness of the father's energy then contributes to a sense of both uh, a, a proneness to seduction and to seductiveness, and at the same time to a paranoia of being invaded by a persecutor. And it's this kind of duality that the skin ego is always dealing with. And it's, it's that that then uh, gets, um, let's say, metabolized by a, uh, a need for a kind of a promiscuous passivity in which one needs to be the object of the desire of the other, but never mobilizes one's own subjective desire for the other. One wants to be the passive object that doesn't actually enact it, doesn't really want it, doesn't want a relationship with another, but needs to know that the other's eyes are glued upon one. So that those uh, forms of visual skin and the radiance that one gets from the gaze of the other keeps one contained within an envelope of uh, a visual uh, resonance with the uh, proxy of the mother that now appears as a, a desirous other. So it's this kind of a, uh, a milieu that the ego that is still resonating at this first assemblage point requires in order to keep itself stabilized and therefore it needs relationships that are extremely superficial, literally skin deep only, and temporary, and in which there is very little attachment, and at the same time, a connection that never leaves with some type of a gadget or a device that connects one to the internet, mama internet, uh, whether it's with the cell phone or the computer or whatever it is that keeps one plugged in. And, uh, and being able to call whatever thousands of friends you have on Facebook or, or see the pictures even of people you don't know and vicariously enjoy their lives as if they were your own. Because at the skin ego level, one yet does not have a life. Because to have a life, you have to have an ego. But the ego is stunted in its development because it never has a depth dimension. It becomes literally a surface that is reflected upon, but never a depth that is, uh, is, uh, is able to, uh, to grow like a seed within the ground and to flower. It is always uh, accepting representations of flowering that are projected upon it, but that it can never realize or activate from within itself. This is a kind of uh, tragic uh, culmination, I would say, of Western culture, but that uh, is also what is leading to the necessity on a, a geopolitical as well as a psychic level uh, to 
enact a kind of transformation that will be uncanny to the uh, political system, which cannot itself understand or control the morphing of the ego. It can control everything but that, you see. It has no access, even though it believes it has mind control. But mind control in terms of suggestive thoughts or even the, uh, the envelope of microwaves that can be sent out and, uh, and, and create actual effects upon the organ of the brain uh, and uh, let alone the effects of cell phones, et cetera, in terms of just electromagnetic pulse. But there is a shift that is happening within the self that cannot mentalize itself, cannot uh, enter into ego consciousness, that is burrowing its way through a, uh, I won't say a neural pathway, but I would say a subtle meridian uh, from chakra one to chakra seven that will overmaster all of the resistances that it faces to psychological development and achieve a metaphysical development that will not be able to have been uh, uh, seen or, or prevented because of its own surrealistic nature. And it's happening invisibly in various cultural changes. But at the very moment that we are uh, attempting to try to understand reality, we have to recognize that there are aspects of reality that none of the uh, cultural components uh, offer in anything but a chaotic fashion. If you go on the internet, you will see all kinds of information about dark conspiracy theories and breakaway civilizations and extraterrestrials and apocalypse, uh, uh, very many kinds of apocalyptic uh, modalities and all sorts of, uh, of information that can create paranoid mentation and and, uh, and, and a feeling of uh, living in a kind of world that is unrecognizable to the past or to one's educational system or to any of the things that uh, come to us from the mainstream media. And yet those media themselves are morphing to try to be more like uh, the most paranoid conspiracy theories and are trying to use them to, uh, to, to create a trajectory of, uh, of channeling of that psychic energy. But it's always bursting out of any effort to try to uh, control it or find some uh, leader who will be able to, uh, to guide the, the culture uh, into a new age uh, like these uh, UFO religions attempt to do or the various other sorts of uh, postmodern cult uh, attempts that are actually backed by elite forces. So these kinds of uh, decentralizations of consciousness that are produced by this ego structure that cannot be symbolically corralled into any particular movement or political uh, orientation also allows a kind of freedom of psychological or psycho-spiritual development that was never present before and enables us, because of the lack of a norm any longer, 
that one needs to to uh, to be close to to be adapted to society since the deregulation of the masculine and the feminine, in which it is no longer clear. There are now not two sexes, or at least genders anymore, but an infinite number of potential genders that anyone can pick and choose and turn into their identity. There, there is no longer any social way of organizing relationships of, of a type that will create a, an illusion of completion or wholeness. And so the consciousness is out there trying to put together a puzzle that has now been fragmented into an infinite number of parts. So there's no longer a media naranja that will satisfy all of those uh, psychological needs. But there, there is uh, uh, simply a... Uh, uh, a panoply of, of uh, icebergs that are, are, are breaking apart into tiny little ice cubes moving on an ocean of consciousness in which one is isolated and separated from everyone else and becoming ever more isolated on an ever smaller little barge of ice that's melting in the global warming. And no one feels very secure on their little oasis uh, of ice that's getting very uncomfortable and cold and they know is going to soon drop them into the abyss. So it's with this a cultural context that the signifier of music has slid over the signified. So when we talk about the word music now, we don't mean what we used to mean by the term music. And music that is being produced today is nothing like the music of Bach or Beethoven or Schubert or Chopin or any of those. We, we are in an entirely different era where it's not only that, that music has changed its rhythm and its beats and its instrumentation because of the electronic and the synthesizers and all of that, but music is now appealing to a different level of consciousness. The music being produced today is being produced for the skin ego. And the skin ego requires containment within powerful walls of sound, okay? It's the volume and intensity that literally the skin can feel that makes it know that this is music, you know? And it moves you, literally, it's, and, and it'll deafen you, you know? And, and that'll be good, in a way, because that proves that you have been totally invaded by the music that has taken over and what it takes over with is a kind of power that suddenly connects you to that very idealized source that you've been looking for and cannot find in the world. That's why most of the postmodern music is so, uh, so much of an objective correlative to Nazism. You know, the Fuhrer speaks through the beats of this electronic music and you can all get in line with it and everyone can dance and do everything in a totally chaotic way, but it's a chaos 
that has been ordered, you see, by the music itself, that allows a sense of, okay, things make sense, and they can make sense as long as the loud enough music permeates the skin ego and keeps it feeling in touch with the Führer mother who uh, is able to bring that kind of energy to bear upon your skin in such a way that there's an intelligence that is, uh, is brought to you by the music that has a message to it which says you are part of this incredible, magical, mystical power that can overcome death. And that doesn't require you to think or to grow or to do anything except to use your energy chaotically and somehow it, that chaos will be in the service of this higher meaning that is being offered by the music's uh, uh, lead players who are playing, of course, these super hyperphallic representations uh, of, of that is the electric guitar incarnate, you know, and uh, all of these other instruments that represent a kind of power that the skin ego lacks. And suddenly that lack is made up for and there is a sense of peace and serenity. Whereas uh, someone from an older style ego system will be horrified by the noise and the stupidity of the lyrics and the absurdity of what they're witnessing in these mosh pits. But they won't realize that this is actually an ecstatic revival <laughs> of sacred reunion with the infinite through the power of this vibrational uh, letting go into uh, the uh, sensorium of absolute vibrational frequency. So that's why we're having this concert tonight. But our idea here in Sat Yoga is that we uplift this, uh, not only the, the, what we'll call it music, uh, uh, <laughs> to a higher frequency through the shift of lyrics that will now have meaning that will connect you to the higher chakras, but also that we are doing this in a level of consciousness that is aware of the ego's potency to grow and to morph into soul soul and spirit, just as in the old days, and that this can happen through that same chaotic letting go, but now dedicated to a surrender, not to the Führer of Rammstein, but to Rama, who is the ultimate manifestation, who comes in the form of Hanuman, you see? And that's why it's so important that this, uh, this archetype of Hanuman, who opens his heart to God and allows that divine power to radiate from him, now comes in the form of the player of an electric guitar, you see, <laughs> who brings that same uh, energy now into a frame of reference and a vibrational frequency that the postmodern ego can relate to. So that's my justification for why we're doing this. Uh, and uh, I hope you'll let me get away with it. Uh, but it, it is that sound that I think uh, 
actually soothes the ego, whose own rough edges, by virtue of the fact that its skin has nothing to be contained by, and that this is its unfortunate position as a living organism, has to have either noise or some other equivalent of the paternal breast that gives it a sense of that wholeness, that triangularity that holds it in place and enables it then to feel nourished and energized sufficiently to be able to function for another period of time, which is not very long between songs, but <laughs> at, at least it's able to keep the machinery going. And it is a kind of machinery, and I think it's that that we have to understand, that the ego has become a cyborg, and uh, it has taken its own nature from the cybernetic revolution. It's no longer human. We are in a post-humanist frame of reference, and it relates much more to machines than it does to the soul as some kind of a, a, a signifier of, of the real. And it is that that is bringing us ever more toward what is referred to as the singularity, when the hope is that we can just download whatever is left of our consciousness into this artificial intelligence and be done with these bodies of flesh that are too messy to deal with and get some uh, skeleton of titanium and uh, some uh, metallic skin, and this is why you need metal music, uh, to be able to proceed forward in time as a robotic replacement of a self that can no longer make it in life because of its own fear of its uh, vulnerability and its weakness that is based on its identification with flesh rather than with spirit. So to be able to use that metaphor now to bring the deus ex machina, to bring the God out of the machine and to be able to bring a rebirth of that ancient culture that again shows its value as a truth that transcends the mind and all of its permutations and brings back a world that is based not on the machinocracy of power, but on the surrender of love will give birth to a new kind of music. But the music will be of a kind of idiom that is not yet born, but will be born out of and maybe as an opposite to the kind of music that we need now in order to stabilize as egos that are growing into full-fledged angelic beings who fly higher than the sonic envelope and live not in vibrations of sound any longer, but vibrations of pure light. <laughs>